thank you so much. Uh, we thank you uh, for all your grace and your mercy that you have bestowed upon us. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, that you have allowed us to live, to see another day, Lord God, and to rejoice with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And just to thank you for all the things that you have uh, already accomplished in our life and the things that you uh, will be accomplishing in the future. Uh, so, Father, today uh, we pray that we would open our hearts and our minds again uh, to the realities of your words. We're praying, uh, Lord God, that your word would go deep into our hearts in order to take uh, very deep roots as well, Lord, uh, so we can be reflective of your grace and your mercy and your kindness, your goodness, your love, your patience, Lord God, uh, to all those who are looking for help in this world, who are looking for peace, Lord God. Let us be the purveyors of peace uh, of Christ Jesus, Lord God, without uh, uh, giving in uh, to the dictates of this world. Uh, so, Lord God, may your word do tremendous works in our heart, in our mind today, Lord God. Uh, we love you and we thank you for all things, Lord God, as we continue to travel down this path, Lord God, about you, the gospel, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we enter into the next part of this message, this series called The Urgency of the Gospel to the Urban Soul. I was, uh, again, just struck as I was praying earlier about the fact how so many different people, how they're streaming into uh, Europe, uh, trying, to find, trying to find that place of rest and security and, 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 and a place that they could live and be at peace. And, 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 and most of these people who are streaming in, they are really, they're trying to get to the cities because they're looking at the cities as places of opportunity. Yeah, they want to get out of their, 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 their home countries at any cost, but they want to go to cities. They're looking for things. They want to go to Berlin. That's where they want to go. They want to go to Germany. They want to go to München, or uh, as known to us as Munich. They want to go to places like that, to these cities, because they're looking for hope. Why is the gospel so urgent, and, and why only focus in the so-called urban soul? Now, I'm not sure about our recent visit from the pontiff. Uh, the, the contents, the total contents of his many messages in which he has uh, proclaimed. But as I heard snippets, and maybe you'll be able to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, because I did not hear uh, much of what he says, but when I kind of chimed in and tried to read some, uh, some transcripts, it became evident to me that one of the things that he talked about a lot was really, he, he talked about helping those who needed help. And this is a good thing, isn't that right? This is a good thing. He also spoke of uh, the fact how we need to take care of this planet. This is also a good thing, isn't it? And he talked about the immigrants and how, especially those who, who live in those war-torn places and how uh, we need to have a heart for these folks. And this is a good thing. Wouldn't you agree? But I wondered in my mind that if 
me personally, if I was given a stage that he had, that what would be the primary focus of my message? If all the news cameras were on me from all over the world, and I needed to deliver a message as some type of religious or spiritual head, what would I say? What would I say to Congress if they gave me one opportunity to speak to them? Would I tell them you guys need to be nice towards one another? What would I do with my time? And I think this is something that we all must come to grips with. You know, uh, again, as I heard the commentators about uh, the Pope's visit, that they weren't talking about the main thing. You know what I'm saying? They weren't talking about, uh, as a whole, they weren't talking about the main thing. I heard one interview, they were interviewing this one person who previously uh, somehow worked in Rome under the pontiff, and uh, they were asking this person about, uh, about the Pope's message. And the person that was interviewing them said something to the effect that, well, we hear that uh, the Pope, he's been talking about immigrants, and he's been talking about uh, uh, unity, and so on and so forth. You know, is there something else that you think that's really behind what the Pope is really saying? He's like, yeah, he could be talking about some other things, but yeah, he's talking about immigrants and so on and so forth. But isn't there, with, with you being a, a follower of Roman Catholicism, isn't there like a, a larger message behind there? They're like, yeah, well, you know, we need to have a bigger heart for those who are poor. See there, there is this, this one scapegoating, uh, uh, kind of leaving uh, the main message in favor of those things that we think are popular, th those things that we believe will soothe the heart of the average person. What would your message be? We found out last time that John the baptizer came on the scene with the understanding that God's judgment is imminent. That John the baptizer said that uh, you need to get your life together today else you will be judged. It's getting really, really close. He therefore had a message from God to people so they can be prepared when he comes. Will you be ready when Jesus comes? Preparing for God's arrival is not just a matter of more knowledge. Even though uh, God, he calls us to the poor. He calls us to the downtrodden. Uh, the word of God calls us to the foreigner. But is that the focus the sole focus of our message. John, the baptizer, in essence, says, if you don't get ready before he comes, you will never ever be able to withstand his gaze when it pierces through your soul. 
I found it pretty interesting uh, last night in uh, my performance last night, they introduced me with the band and they introduced me as the pastor, the band's pastor. I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to be the pastor of this sheep here. Uh, but nevertheless, they introduced me as the band's pastor and I, I played a little solo and the one guy that introduced me says, man, I felt, I felt as if the rapture was about to happen now. And, and then the one guy said, this is at uh, someone's wedding party. And the one guy says that, I'm not sure if you really heard that about the rapture because you have nothing to worry about because you ain't going nowhere. What I liked about it was that here we were at a wedding and they were talking about, in essence, what's going to happen when Jesus comes. You see what I'm saying? Will you be able to withstand the gaze of him who knows the thoughts and the intents of your hearts? Do you think this is the type of message that your, your, your co-workers are considering today? Is this the bulk of the conversation uh, you hear on the bus or on the train? Are people at your school feverishly talking about the condition of their soul in the preparation of the coming of Christ, of the coming of Messiah? In this context, it is John who brought up the issue. You remember John the Baptist, that, that, that John, he did not wait around on some, uh, someone to bring up the issue. John, he steps on the scene and he says, uh, know the Lord, repent, confess, and be baptized because judgment time is coming soon. He didn't say, well, uh, let me, uh, I'll first get a chance to have coffee with him. And then maybe a month from now, I say, hey, let's go out to dinner. And then maybe he'll say in another month from then, well, you know, uh, have you ever thought about going to church? John the baptizer, he walks on the scene and he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He didn't wait for someone to bring this up in the conversation because he knew that he left it, if he left it up to someone else to bring it up, that oftentimes they will not bring it up. It would never have happened. So today, we look at Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw John in the wilderness baptizing people at the Jordan River, and today we see something different. Now, would Jesus' ministry been inaugurated if he had not been baptized? And that's the focus of this. I'll let you figure that out for yourselves. But in the meantime, I will settle on the fact that his ministry was inaugurated after his baptism. You see, uh, there was a sovereign order of things for which we know nothing about in this passage that goes on in heaven. Yes, it is true that the Lord sometimes review, reveals these things to us, but in this case, we really don't know. We don't know what God would have done had Jesus not been baptized. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And I know you were already there because you figured it out. 
very simply, Jesus was baptized by John. Simple as that. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, right? The Jordan River. Jesus entered the context of John the baptism uh, during which John was doing what God had already called him to do, right? Uh, John said, God called me to do this, so I'm going to start baptizing. So he started to do it. Our passage begins to read, it says, in those days. In those days, speak of when John the baptizer was baptizing folks in the Jordan River. But notice that we are now basically 11 verses in, right? Chapter 1, all the way through uh, verse 11. And how many times have we seen Jesus speak thus far? In the context of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has spoken how many times? Look at it real quick. Zero, especially if you have Jesus' word in the red. You just look at that and say, there's no red here unless you wrote red in your Bible. This is consistent with the other Gospels like Matthew where Jesus does not speak until the third chapter of the very book. So Jesus here in Mark chapter 1 verse 9, he enters on the scene and he comes from Nazareth of Galilee. This was the place where Jesus grew up, but not the place where Jesus was born. Now, I need to just take a quick sidestep here because this is a very important fact, an important thing to know, an important bit of information for understanding that uh, the prophecy uh, that talked about the Christ or the Messiah, that it was indeed talking about Jesus. Uh, turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5. Verse 2. Uh, sometimes I want to say, uh, when you get it, say amen, but I will resist the urge. Sometimes I want to say it so bad. As a matter of fact, when you get there, just say amen. I get it out my system. I don't have to think about that anymore. But yeah, here's a better way to say it. When you get there, say, I got it. There you go, amen. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You see, uh, all the Jews, the Jews today, uh, the Jews during the time, uh, they would read Micah 5, 2, and they're saying that there is someone that's coming from an ancient time, and this, this one ultimately will be our Messiah. So they knew that there was one to come. People of Israel knew, uh, knew this and were trying to get their minds around Jesus. The role he played in this picture and his identity. In John, please, chapter 7, verse 40. John, chapter 7, verse 40. 40 through 42. 
When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Now, uh, let's make a distinction here. Uh, the prophet on the one hand, remember we talked about John the Baptist, him coming into being. We know that in Malachi, that he is the fulfillment of Elijah the prophet. Amen? Jesus said this. So they were saying to themselves in this time uh, concerning Jesus Christ. They asked themselves the question, uh, could he be the prophet? So they were expecting Number one, the prophet to come, but we know the prophet did come in uh, the form of John the baptizer. Amen? So the prophet had already come, but then look at the next thing that they said. Verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. So they were expecting Messiah to come. Uh, so they understood back in Micah 5, 2, that there was one that was going to come. But then they had something else to say, right? This is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? In other words, the, the obvious answer to that question is absolutely not. Because if you understood Micah chapter 5, verse 2, one thing that you knew that uh, the prophet had to come from which area? It had to come from Jew, what? Judah. He had to come from Judah. Say, so is the Christ to come from Galilee? Because Galilee is not in Judah. Galilee is further north, 42 in John 7. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village, remember the Comas, where David was? Because David came from Judah Nazareth was in Galilee, and so they were thinking to themselves that Jesus was from Nazareth. So if Jesus was from Nazareth, there is no way in the world that he could be Messiah. Couldn't be him. This doesn't make sense scripturally. And if that were the case, they would have been correct. We know then where the Messiah was supposed to be born, and we also see the people understood this as well. The question is, was Jesus born in Bethlehem, the village, Comas, of David? Remember, that's where Mark's gospel have a different focus and does not provide uh, that information, but Luke's gospel certainly does. Luke chapter 2, come on, Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Many of you know this, but for those of you who don't, uh, please turn in. And if you know that, be patient with those who don't know. Amen? Luke chapter 2, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. I'm talking about Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. So obviously, Joseph was from where? Let's try it again. Obviously, Joseph was from where? He was from, yeah, he was from Nazareth, from the town of Nazareth. Two, he went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to what? Judea, uh, to the city 
of David, which is called Bethlehem. Here it is, because he was, Joseph was from where, according to this? He was of the house and lineage of, okay, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. So Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem because that's where his peeps were from. So they had to go back to where their peeps were from, even though he was living in Nazareth, but he had to go back to where he was originally from. Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. There we go, our Christmas story in September. So Jesus was born where? Was he born in Nazareth? He was born where? You already know this, right? He was born where? In Bethlehem. Jesus is therefore qualified to be Messiah, the Christ, by his heritage and by his birthplace. So while Jesus grew up in Nazareth, he was born in the city of David, Bethlehem, house of bread, Bethlehem. Again, this is another important point where the Jesus, uh, the Christ, fulfills prophecy relating to the Messiah. So now uh, we see uh, back in our passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 9, that John baptizes Jesus. Now come on, come on now, it's okay, you, you know me by now. It is okay to ask questions of scripture, amen? And if you are anything like me, you also want to know why the Son of God, the Christ Messiah, that he needed to be baptized in the first place. Don't you want to know that? Why? If you're supposed to be so righteous, if you're the son of God, if you are God, how can any man baptize you in the first place? If Jesus is indeed sinless, then why must he receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin? And we see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 4. It is important that we look to Scripture, amen, to answer our question about Scripture. Say it again. We must look to, 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 to where? We must look to, come on, you said, you said the word, to Scripture or the Bible to answer our question about what? All right, there you go. Look to the Bible to answer your question about the Bible. Look to Scripture to ask your question, answer your question about Scripture. This verse or chapter does not answer this question now, does it? Right, let's go ahead and read that. Starting in verse 9, Mark chapter 1, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open. You go in and look, and you'll see the question is never answered. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And I'm about to take you on a journey, so fasten your seatbelt. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. See, what that tells me is that Jesus really, he didn't have to go and find John, but looks like he went and found John. You see that? 
To what? To be baptized by him. In verse 14, Matthew chapter 3. John would have prevented him saying, I indeed, I need to be baptized by you. He said, hold on. You need to be baptized in me. And do you, uh, John, he understood that. Do you come to me? In other words, to be baptized? Verse 15, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Then John said, in essence says, okay. They said, okay. You see, even John the baptizer had the same issue that you and I had. If Jesus walked in his door and he says, uh, 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 Sister Cynthia, baptize me now. Man, I'd be all on the floor saying, no way, Jesus, I don't know about you, Sister Cynthia. I'd be all on the floor. I'd probably have my head all covered and tell somebody to put something over me because I'm like, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips, right? I am before you. I know I'm saved, but your gaze is tearing me up, Jesus, and you want me to baptize you? Yet... What was Jesus' answer? He told John that it needed to happen in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said that it had to be done. But again, Jesus, the Son of God, was he righteous? Let's try it again. Was Jesus righteous? Jesus was already righteous. So what do you mean? The fact that you showed up, Jesus, you're fulfilling all you're here. Now, this is where it's going to take a little work of the Holy Spirit and a desire to receive from the Lord the things he wants to teach us today. Amen? Let's take this walk. First, John the baptizer was called by God to bring everyone into repentance and confession. Say that again. John the baptizer was called by God to bring everyone into repentance and confession confession right uh, we agree with that he called how many people he called in essence was calling everyone and we know that he was dealing with Israel but he was calling everyone what this means is that his ministry was such that he was authorized by God to call everyone to repent all people as we know some repented and were baptized while others ignored it altogether but for the person who heard carefully, they knew that his message was from God and they needed to walk in obedience. So when God calls uh, people into repentance, when you hear and you understand his message, you must repent. Amen? So it has to do with the obedience of people to the command of God. John the baptizer, this Elijah figure, he comes and he says, everybody repent, everybody repent. God was there for calling all people to the place of righteousness. No one was excluded. No individual was excluded. Not one person could escape the demand of the Lord. There are certain commands of God which affects every people, every person that walks on the earth, and this was one of them. Repent and begin a relationship with the Lord or go get caught up in his judgment by rejecting his command. 
Secondly, we know Jesus Christ exists in the hypostatic union. And then there were crickets. Uh, that Jesus Christ, he exists in the hypostatic union. And you know what this is, right? Jesus Christ, he is, come on, you say it with me. He is, so we'll say uh, that, that, that Jesus is 100% God and Jesus is what? 100% man minus the sin. That Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. How it works out, I don't know. I'm not God. All I know is what the scripture reveals, and it reveals the fact that Jesus is uh, the Christ who is 100% God and 100% man. You see, as a man, Jesus is in an Adamic state. As a man, Jesus existed in the Adamic state. Well, what do you mean by that? When God created Adam and Eve, did he create them in sin? Let's try it again. Some said no, some didn't know, but I want you all to know. Uh, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created them, they, did they exist in sin when they were created? And the answer is a wholeheartedly and a nice loud, absolutely not. So Jesus, as this final Adam, that he walks on this earth in this Adamic state, pre-sin. So if Adam could exist without sin, that tells us that Jesus, as a man, can exist. How? Without sin. And now you have a term, this Adamic state. We, as people, no longer walk in the Adamic state because we are descendants of the sinful Adam. It's in us, it's in us, it's in us. Look in the mirror, you see it all the time. Look in your relationships. You, you, you know that you walk in the sinful Adamic state, not the pre-sinful Adamic state, but we all exist in the sinfulness of what Adam did, which is why we need Jesus in the first place. So if Adam can exist without sin, Jesus can exist without sin. Amen? Come on, Amen? In his humanity, Jesus, in his humanity, here it is, in his humanity, Jesus must submit himself to the Father. He had to submit to God the Father, just like you and I must. But also, Jesus had to submit to the directives of human authority. As long as that human authority did not cross the boundaries of righteousness. So God has placed human authority into operation to keep sin and unrighteousness in check. And that's why we need the police. Amen? I know uh, some of us don't like the police, right? And we know that we have not 
uh, some have not been treated. I said we, because I'm thinking to myself. Some of us have not been treated fairly by the police, right? We understand this. We know this. But the option would be get rid of the police. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, if, if you want to live without the police, then you're going to you're going someplace like Syria. Amen. And you said, well, you, I don't want the police. You know, all they do is restrict my rights, and they're always about, okay, we will help you get to Syria. Well, somebody will, not we, because uh, I'm not going to help you get there. Uh, you see, you remove God's leadership of authority, even though it may be secular. In one sense, God places these individuals, these uh, organizations in place in order to keep sin in check. As we know, however, the very ordinances and rules that human authority has put into place are gradually being erased, erased in favor of a free human spirit. I just want to be free. We've had, in the past, we've had people come to our church. They said, I want to come to your church because in the spirit, I just want to be free. And you know me, I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? Well, I just kind of want, when I come to church, I just kind of want to do my own thing. I'm like, well, I'm not sure if this is the, the church that you want to be at to do your own thing because God has placed uh, certain uh, folks in operation within the church. And if you were to do your own thing, then you will have your disorder. Dear friends, but nevertheless, yet again, I had to turn someone else away. That freedom will undoubtedly cause harm to the human race because those lines are not being informed by the Spirit of God. When there was a question of paying a tax, did Jesus reject it as another money grab by the authorities? Man, I want to be uh, like Jesus. Jesus didn't say, you know, they're just... Just another money grab. That's all it is about by the authorities. Please. Mark chapter 12, verse 14. Mark chapter 12, verse 14. Through 17. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anybody's opinion. See, what they're trying to do, they're trying to entrap Jesus. You don't care about what anybody say, do you, Jesus? Come on. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Jesus, you, the way that you preach the word of God, you get it. You don't care what anybody thinks. So they were buttering him up, right? People still use that term, buttering him up. And some of the older saints, they told me what that meant, so I figured I'd use it today. So they were trying to butter Jesus up. And then they ask him the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, one of the things I tell you, uh, don't always think that everybody to come to you that all their intentions are good. Amen? Please, when people start to say how nice you are and how good you are, you better, even if you don't say it out loud, ask yourself, where is this going? Where is this thing going? Right? Don't get trapped by the adversary. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? 
Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy. Boom, there it is. Jesus, he knew what their hypocrisy was. He said to them, why put me to the test? Go ahead and bring me that money. Bring me that denarius and let me look at it. Did Jesus have to look at the denarius? Verse 16, and they brought one and he said to them, whose mug is on this? Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. He said, I. That's what he said, I. Jesus said to them, render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So I know that sometimes that, you know, we hear all the stories about the government and government waste, but go ahead and give the government their money. It belongs to them. Let, let them have it. Amen. It's tough, man. I'll be, the, I'll be the first one to tell you. Lord, no, I'll be the first to tell you. But, you know, go ahead and pay your taxes. Why? Right? Go ahead and do it, because this is right in the eyes of the Lord. Because those taxes, they not only pay uh, for uh, the police, but they pay for other things, right? Make sure your streets are, are, are straightened out, right? So it don't look like you living somewhere else other than the United States. You, yeah, okay. You have to know when it is time and under what circumstances to submit to God and when it is time to submit to human authority. So again, I've said this before in the past. So if you are a student, when you go to school, who do you submit to? Try it again. If you are a student and you go to school, who do you submit to? Uh, all of our students don't get it yet because I haven't heard them say one word. When you are a student and you are in school, who do you submit to? The teachers, the teachers. And when they want to give you all that homework, you say, yes. I know it's hard, parents, I know. Been there, done that. So we, we must submit to them. But anytime they ask us to do anything that we know that is not right, at that particular case, God gives us the authority. And I would advise you, if you are a student, ask your parents and talk to your parents so they will help you to discern what to do in that situation. Amen? Amen. You have to know when it is time. In Mark chapter 1 verse 9, Jesus submits to the Father as the Father called all of humanity to repent under the ministry of John the baptizer. Now, when we put these two ideas together, uh, the fact that the command of God was for baptism and the position of humanity was to submit, then Jesus, that he must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. At the same time, Jesus' submission to John's call to baptism affirms John's ministry. This was an affirmation of John the baptizer's ministry. But it is interesting that Mark does not even address this issue at all. Again, which is causes a great concern for us today. But nevertheless, we know that Jesus, he needed to submit to the call of God as an example to others. Finally, the baptism it was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry on earth. Verse 10, Mark chapter 1. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, which I am well pleased. So what happened after Jesus was baptized? A host of things happened. It says, number one, that the heavens were being torn open, number one. Number two, that the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And three, that a voice came from heaven. 
In dramatic fashion, God the Father was making a point he did not want others to miss. Sometimes we are so engrossed with ourselves uh, that we miss what God is doing, right? Because we're always trying to talk about me, 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 my needs, that we can never stop to ask the question, what is God doing right here? What is God doing right now? Here, the Lord made it obvious for anyone wanting to turn aside and hear the voice of the Lord. Remember what happened to Moses in the, in the wilderness, that Moses was minding his own business, and all of a sudden he saw this bush that was doing what? It had caught what? A flame. It was on fire. And the scripture said that Moses had to turn aside to look. But here, if you were in this context where Jesus was being baptized, there were a couple of things that you couldn't miss. That you couldn't miss the fact that the heavens were being torn open. You couldn't miss that the Spirit was coming like a dove, right? The Scripture didn't say that the Spirit was a dove, right? Right? So the Holy Spirit is not a bird, everybody. All right? Let's say it again. The Holy Spirit is not a bird. It said the Spirit came descending. What was the word that he uses? Like. Like. It didn't say the Spirit came as a dove, but like, you know, kind of like a flying little bird, the Spirit came down. Then that voice came from heaven. It is clear that these things were all directed towards Jesus Christ, and it was all about him at this point. John the baptizer seemed to have completed his ministry to prepare the way of the Lord, as we saw in verse 3, and he heard about, uh, about it. We heard that about that in the previous message. These miraculous actions were to have everyone take a look at Jesus Christ and no other. And this is why even John the, the Baptist said uh, concerning Jesus Christ, it says, he must increase and I must what? You see, John was only on the scene, only until he could prepare the way of the Lord. And then once the Lord came in, we know that John the Baptist's head was separated from his body. His ministry was done. I know that we would probably look at that and say, oh, how tragic this was. This was sad that they cut his head off. You see, uh, God wanted to make sure that there was no mix-up. There is no mist about whose ministry does what. John did his job and he was done. Jesus gave him a great accolade. That's why I say I'm not worried about anything. Amen. Because nothing can happen to me. Nothing can happen to you as well. Amen. Until you fulfill everything that God has called you to do. Now, if you're going to be a knucklehead and not listen to what God wants to do, then maybe you're going to be done sooner than you think. So I want to encourage you to walk in the purpose that God has called you on this earth. Amen. Amen. I know that it's hard to hear, uh, but as we say, it is what it is. His status, in one sense, was really no difference from you and me. For others, 
they have relegated Jesus to an angel's status. So Jesus came, he came as the Son of God, as God in order to bring redemption. But for other folks, when they look at Jesus, they relegate him to an angel's status. And they say Jesus was nothing but another man. And then when that dove, Holy Spirit, came upon him, then he received his power, his messiahship. But Jesus was God. So does this moment begin Jesus' status as the Christ, the God-man, or do these things point to a different thought altogether? Why then was it even necessary for the Father to make this grand display about Jesus unless he was truly crowning him Christ at the moment? The fact remains that Jesus is who he is. Amen? Amen. God the Father did it all for us. Jesus knows who he is and does not struggle with an identity crisis. In other words, Jesus wasn't walking around the earth talking about, who am I? What is my purpose in life? Who am I? What, is my, what am I supposed to do? Jesus wasn't walking around like that. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Then if that was the case, then why this display? then why this big pronouncement? Please, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 27 through 30. Verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. This is another time, by the way, this is not the same time. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, verse 30, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. In other words, when we hear about God's voice, oftentimes it is for the benefit of others, not for Jesus, because he already knew what the will of the Father was. So that voice but for those who had a spiritual void and wanted it to be filled in some way. Again, Jesus states the same idea in John chapter 11, verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So after the baptism, God the Father was not making Jesus Christ anything he wasn't already. He was already Christ. Redemption is in who he is. Grace is part of his ministry and personage, even though he had not yet hung on the cross. So, what does the Lord want us to take away from this message? Number one, he wants us to take away a deep sense of appreciation who Jesus Christ is. In a world that bashes Jesus and his disciples, they can grow a sense of discouragement with being identified with him. 
We know that Jesus said it wouldn't be easy. And we know Jesus said that they hated him and surely they would hate you. We know this. Yet there's a growing need from us to be strengthened just to know we are serving the one true living God. It is in this that we find solace in Jesus Christ who is the one. He is the one who will both redeem and judge the world. He is the one who will place his arms around you and I when it is all said and done. He is the anointed one, the only one qualified to take us from a place of weakness to a place of strength. So in the midst of all, we receive a true and faithful sense of appreciation of Jesus in his ministry. But also, the Lord wants us to learn submission. He wants us to learn submission. This is one of the most problematic issues that we face as a people. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Right? I, you know, I, I, I look at myself. I had a discussion with someone last night, and, and, and I was so, I admit, I, I was so tired. And I had a discussion with someone. I said, you know, I need for you to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, wait a minute. First off, when I said I did that, then I just said, okay, whatever you want. I knew, but I said, let me, let me just submit myself because I'm about to say something crazy. Have you ever done that before? Uh, yeah, it, it happens to me, too. I want you to know. It happen, I'm going to tell you, it happens to me. Uh, but you have to be, I was telling my wife, you know, you have to be really careful, especially when you're tired especially when you're tired, that you don't say anything or do something that you already know that folks are getting on your nerves. That is a, a prime time just to just submit yourselves, go ahead and sleep on it, and give yourself a couple of, give yourself a couple of days, right? I am so glad I didn't say, I knew, I, I knew, he, he was right, he was absolutely right. And I'm just so glad, especially on, on this side of yesterday, I'm so glad I didn't say anything. Ultimately, yeah, he was right, but he was, he was still wrong. I'll be honest, he was still wrong. You say, oh, Pastor Spencer, now trying to give him an excuse, so I guess I can do the same thing. No, you can't. Remember, I didn't say anything, amen? And we just saved that discussion for some, for some other time. So the Lord, he wants us to learn submission as well. Look at Jesus Christ, him being God, that he submitted to another man who was not God. God submitted to a man who was not God. At what point in your life have you not submitted to someone and you know that you should have? Really? When have you done that? You know that you need to hold your tongue. Some of you are probably in trouble right now because you haven't done so. So, for the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, we see here the fact that the result of this is that God the Father, that he was well pleased, and we saw, and everybody is introduced to Jesus, the God. 